kind of what I, what I would have shared last week. And, you know, this just was, we're all super familiar with the Christmas story, and it's not that like we can't learn things from it. And we're still going to deal with that. Um, but what we're all not super familiar with is how the Old Testament wraps up. And what happened in 400 years that made the New Testament look very different than the Old Testament? You know, I remember uh, just over the years, you know, people even said it almost seems like there's a different God, you know, even because in the Old Testament, sometimes God gets this, this bad rap of this wrath and, all, you know, all of a sudden then we get to the New Testament and it's love, 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 right? Um, and it's, it's not, it's all, it's all in there. And I hope if you've been reading along with us or if you've not been falling asleep during my messages, I hope you've picked up on the fact that it's all in there. I mean, and it, it crosses over and the New Testament speaks to the, I mean, the Old Testament speaks to the New Testament and the New Testament references back to the Old Testament. And, and so, but there, there does seem to be this little shift. And so like what happened, you know, so I didn't want to just glaze over this. So we're going to deal with that today. And then uh, the next time I preach, we'll celebrate Christmas together and some other things about the Gospels, okay? <laughs> so we'll do that. So let's pray, and we'll get into this. God, uh, thank you again that we can gather. Lord, and help me to, uh, I know I'm a bunch of names in here and, and uh, all that good stuff, but God, I just pray that you work uh, through this time. God, as Jason was uh, praying to you, God, just that you speak to, to us, God, and, and uh, this is a little bit of a history lesson. God, and I pray that, that we walk away uh, just knowing, Lord, um, that you were at work the whole time. Uh, God, even when, you know, I know there's that song that's out now, and like, you're working even when we don't see it, God, even when we don't understand. You are at work, God. You are fulfilling a purpose and a plan that you have had in place. And I hope, I hope today builds our faith. I hope it encourages us, God, to stay steadfast, to stay faithful, God, it's not easy when we look around and, and we feel like we're alone in this sometimes, God. And, and so I love Sundays. I love gathering together uh, my brothers and sisters, God. And again, I'm, I thank you all the time for designing it this way, that we get to be the body of Christ together, the bride of Christ, Lord, that, that we get to, to be encouraged by one another and, and pray for each other and, and walk this out day in and day out. Thank you for your mercies and your grace and your love. Lord, but as we, as we dig through here, I, I pray that we see and we remember that sin is serious business. God, it's what separated us from the beginning, and it, it's still going on, and we, and we all struggle with it, God. It, you know, that's what the New Testament tells us. Like, don't say you don't have sin, you're a liar. But God, you sent a remedy for that sin. And I pray that we take that serious, God, and it's not just a box that we check, but it's a life that we live. And I'm praying that that life shines a light into the darkness and that someone, someone is seeking you, God, and that you can use us in that way to share the gospel with them, God, uh, to get them plugged in, to get them in a relationship with you. So thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Again, as we're wrapping up the Old Testament here, you know, we've had a, a lot of what seems like gloom. I know it's easy to, to, to portray it that way, and it's, it's hard reading sometimes and, and that, and we're coming to the good news, right? And so that's kind of what's going on. And Malachi, uh, we're going to be in Malachi uh, almost exclusively today, and it was written when the, uh, Israel had been back a hundred years. Uh, they'd, they'd come out of Persia, and they'd been back about a hundred years, 
And uh, I, there's really not a better way, I don't think, to end uh, the Old Testament. You know, I, again, I'm just, I always am amazed at God's just providence in things and how he orchestrates things and how things are put in a certain order and place. And, and just this book is so fitting because we learn a couple of things from Malachi. We learn, one, that God still loves Israel, right? They've been through a very difficult time, still going through a difficult time. You know, I mean, really, I know they're not in captivity anymore, but they're still like starting from scratch, kind of getting things going, all that kind of stuff. They still can't obey. They still mess up, just like us, right? They, they still struggle and mess up. And that, well, the last thing we learned is that God is moving on to a Messiah, and he's going to provide the ultimate answer to sin, right? Because if anything, if you've not taken anything else away from the Old Testament, I hope you've taken away that human beings are incapable of not sinning. Like, they just are. Uh, we just do it, right? And uh, Paul even says, why do I do what I don't want to do? You know, and like, it's just, it's there and it, it's in us. So let's start off with this first one. Look at Malachi, Malachi 1, uh, talking about this. And it says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, the Lord's love for Israel. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. What? Hang on, we'll come back to that. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. So uh, there's some stuff going on with the, the Edomites here, the descendants of Esau. And so there's some struggle there of, of like, how, how are you loving us when th this kind of stuff has happened to us and, and that, kind of, that kind of thing is going on? And that's a tough phrase right there to read, but I, Esau I have hated. And I want you to be careful because we, we do have to understand there is some uh, grammatical stuff and language and scripture and those kinds of things. But it's an idiom. There are several in there. And so, uh, you know, just to kind of, I don't know, give it a little uh, reference, it'd be, hey, I love pepperoni pizza. I hate supreme pizza, right? So it's kind of like I prefer this over this. Jesus even said, if you don't hate your father, did that, is that what he really meant? All of us, get out your pen and paper. We're going to write our moms. Because Jesus, Jesus told us to hate our, our moms and dads, right? Was that what Jesus was saying? Of course not. Because he says all over the place, love, right? <laughs> love. Let, let love be the defining factor. But what he is saying is that you can't put anybody in front of him. We have to prefer or choose Jesus over every relationship. He comes first right? And so, so kind of get that in your head as you're reading through there, because God, for whatever reason, chose Jacob. He chose him, just like he chose the Israelites to be his chosen people. He, he, through Israel, he revealed himself to the entire world, right? He chose them. Uh, there's, some, there's some stuff in Romans 9 that talks about that, and like, this is, you know, I, I don't have a big group discussion, but I God just chooses some people to do things. He calls them. And I guess they could turn him down, but <laughs> when he chooses somebody, I mean, he, he puts it on them, you know. And he's walked with Israel, even though they have denied him. Because why? Because God can't be unfaithful to himself. 
and he chose Israel. So there's been discipline along the way. There's been a lot of stuff going on, but he chose Israel. And so, um, so again, God preferred Jacob over Esau, and so Jacob was called. We have the Edomites going on, and so there's some just issues there with them. And uh, Herod, actually, when we get to the New Testament, baby killing Herod, right? He, he is from that tribe. He's, he's an Edomite. And so, uh, anyway, so God chooses Israel for a purpose and, and, and kind of walks through it, even though they're a stiff-necked people. And if nothing, again, if nothing else, I hope you've seen yourself in Israel because we're very similar uh, in nature. And so Paul uses this quote in Romans to, to remind that God's not through with Israel yet. And we know that, man, they, they're, they're in it to the end, right? Read about them in Revelation. They're, they're in it. They're his chosen people, and he has a purpose for them. And it is not completely fulfilled yet, and it will be. Okay? Um, so, God loves Israel. Second, they still can't obey God, right? They're still struggling. They're still messing up. And Malachi's written, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to court. It's not the most fun thing in the world. I uh, found out recently. Uh, but, in a, you know, in court, like, there's, like, so God states the crime, you know, that's being done. And then the accused, which is Israel here, is pr- they protest, right? Or like, oh, why? how do we do that? We're not doing that. And then God lays out the case against them. Like, oh, yeah, you are. Here's how, you know, and that's how Malachi is kind of written uh, if, if, you, if you read through it or are going to read through it. And so there's these four major complaints that God has against Israel that surfaces. It's a charade. It's fake. It's false. They, they check the church box on Sunday, but it, there's really no life going on. It's, it's just a deadness. Uh, uh, Jesus talks about whitewashed tombs, you know. Uh, it's, just, it's just become a show, and there's no depth to it. There's no relationship. And unfortunately, I, you know, if we went around the room, maybe you've experienced a time like that, right? I mean, that's, again, that's a pretty common thing. I've walked through this world a long time. That's a pretty common thing. It's easy for it to become just religion, right? Where I just, I check a box and I'm, I'm walking this moral road and God, God wants more than that. He desires to be in, in relationship. So there's this symbolism of, of something there, but there's no substance t- to it. And so, uh, you know, they, they've really, what it really boils down to is they've kind of forgotten how great God is. And it's easy to do when things are just kind of mundane or dragging along or you feel like you're in a desert place. Where's God? You know, we, we ask that kind of thing. And we question God and we challenge God and they're doing something very, very similar. And then they've forgotten how serious sin is. And I think we can all relate to that too. Sometimes we treat it real casual. And this is the thing that separated us from the beginning. I mean, Adam and Eve, separation, and, and ultimately, what did it bring? It brought death. And so because of sin, death has to take place. It cost a life. And it's like they've kind of forgotten that. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're supposed to be bringing this unblemished lamb or, or uh, whatever, and then, and, and then they, they don't care. And so they're just kind of treating it with this casual thing for a second. I, I want you to think for a second, what if you adolescent and you had foo-foo your little lamb right and that was a lamb that was unblemished and you're going to jerusalem and you bring foo-foo along dad's like yeah you can bring foo-foo taking him to the farm up in vermont you know and you get to jerusalem and you go to the temple 
and you're there with your family, and they take fufu, the priest takes fufu and just slaughters a lamb in front of you. I do believe that would change the way we looked at sin. You know? Because that's the reality of sin. It cost life. And we have it so good on this side of the cross. <laughs> and sometimes I think we do the same thing. We just treat sin super casual. We forget how great God really is. And we end up accusing Him for a lot of things and questioning Him when we're the ones <laughs> that are guilty. And you leave there and you're asking your parents, oh, why did that have to happen? And they go through this explanation of sin costing something. Malachi 1, 11 through 13 says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, to its setting my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name in pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is and you snort at it. They got this just attitude about it all. And, and God's like, oh. Second thing, they've broken the marriage covenant. They've, they've started treating marriage. Uh, mm, they've just really watered down marriage. And again, I'm going to hit on divorce here, man. And I know that's a, that's a thing we deal with in our culture. I know that's a thing that we deal with in this room. And, and this isn't about trying to make somebody feel guilty or not guilty, but marriage is serious business. It's a covenant. Like Shay and I are in the wedding industry, and I got to tell you, man, it's not taken very serious. It's a big deal, and it's a gift from God, but it's a big deal, a really big deal, okay? And, it, and that's what, you know, one of the things we say, it shouldn't be entered into unadvisedly, right? Because it's a big deal, and it's a big covenant. And again, I know there's reasons for divorce and there's reasons that, and, and like it talks about those, but, but marriage, I mean, God's design, like we don't ever want to steer clear of that and we don't ever, ever want to water that down. Ever. It's important. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. I mean, he calls them out here in Malachi. And this second thing you do with tears, with weeping and groaning, because no longer regards... Because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness when you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of spirit in their union? And what was, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring? So guard yourselves in the spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in the spirit and do not be faithless. They have done all kinds of studies. Probably did them to prove this wrong, but every time it comes back, and, and I'm not, these aren't just that the most healthy thing children are raised in a home that has a mom and a dad. Every time it comes back. Why? Shockingly, that's how God designed it. How he designed it. That doesn't always work. No one in here hasn't fallen. It's a broken world, and we have to deal with that. Absolutely. 
But God's design is this. And this is what he's after, and this is what he wants for his people. And marriage is an important thing, and they had started just treating it with a casualness, like they were treating sin. And God's like, whoa, uh uh-uh. No, 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 this is a huge covenant. It's a big deal. If you choose to get married, if that's something God lays in your heart, man, that's the second most important relationship you'll ever have. Ever. It should supersede your children. (laughs) Only God relationship. And, And the marriage points to the God relationship, actually. So it's important. Third, God says, you've robbed me in my work. What does that even mean? They said the same thing. <laughs> Malachi 3, 8 through 10, it says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? See, they said the same thing. And he says, in your tithes and contribution, tithes means a tenth, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. It, to my knowledge, I say, place in all of scripture where it says we can test God. Now the New Testament talks about us testing spirits, but to actually test God, I don't think there's another place. If you do, you can share that with me, but I don't think there's another one. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for your blessing until there is no more need. What? Hold on. Wait a minute. Man, the Bible says God owns cattle on a thousand hills. Now I've never owned any cattle. All right, but I've worked cattle and a thousand hills of cattle. That's probably worth a lot of money, I would assume. I bought a half a cow one time. That's got to be worth a lot of money because half a cow is expensive. That's a lot. Why does God need my money? Doesn't he got enough? What a selfish God, right? He doesn't want your money and he doesn't need your money, he wants what it represents. And oh man, does our culture understand that? Uh, Man, materialism, we want more stuff all the time. It's hard not to have a desire to keep up with the Joneses. I know that's our phrase. The Joneses aren't here today, so we can pick on them. Right? It's there for all of us. It gets paraded in our face constantly. You need this. You need this. Apple just did that. Big Apple guy, I know that. I'm getting that debate. But Apple just released their new iPhone, right? Here's all the reasons you should have to upgrade. You know, on it. And it's like, my camera's not good enough anymore. Yes, new camera. Yes. Better. And we find ways to justify materialism. Example, because I'm talking about myself. I'm like, what? No, we don't. Right? We don't need it. But the world is going to tell you that you do. God doesn't need your money. He wants what it represents. We can't worship two gods. Right? It says that in the New Testament. Where your treasure is, what, what else is there? Your heart. That's right. We know it. But that don't take the temptation away, does it? Woo! It's there. I could give you my list. <laughs> it's tough sometimes. And God's like, would you just trust me with your finances? Just trust me to the point that you'll just give it away. 
And look, you know, we, we can talk about a tenth. That's, that's what it says. I know in the New Testament it says be generous, work something out with God. But like a tenth was kind of a starting place for the Jewish people. Like, hey, trust me. Give me your first fruits and watch what I do. So, whoo, that step of faith to just, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to do that. It's not easy, but God promises to be faithful, and He will be. This is not a burden, it's a blessing. And Israel had gotten to the point of giving God their leftovers. Man, I've been there. I've been there. I've fallen for that. Can't sit here and say I hadn't. Will we trust God with that financial peace, you know, and bring it into the storehouse? And the last one, uh, you've spoken to me. Malachi 2.17, it says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, we've done that. How have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? And so they're saying these false things about God, because you know what's happening right now? They're looking around, and the evil people in the world are gaining. <laughs> is this not hitting home, man? The evil people, man, they're growing, their empires are growing, they're having success, and God's people are just sitting here, just blah, in it all. This 400-year gap right here, they end up just being this like political football for all these superpowers. They're nothing. And they're looking around and like, God, what, like, why is Alexander the Great, and why is Nebuchadnezzar, and why is this power, and this power, and this power, like they are all this success. understand and it's hard sometimes when isn't it it's real hard that's a real human thing right there when you're sitting here you're faithful, then you're doing things and then god seems to be blessing someone over here who doesn't give a rip about god it's hard to see that sometimes and it hurts have you ever been have you ever been stabbed in the back rumored again has anybody said something about you that wasn't true it hurts, especially if it's coming from a friend or a family member or a brother in church, you know, or something. Like things about him. In uh, chapter 3, 13 through 15, it says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, How have you spoken? How have we spoken against you? And you have said, It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now, we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. I'm, I'm remembering David's heart in this because David questioned God, right? But his heart was, he wanted to understand. And it was a big difference between what's going on here when they're just publicly bashing God and crying out, it's not fair. Matter of the heart. Malachi 4.1, the great day of the Lord. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And this is where, church, we just have to, I know it's not easy. I know. But we have to be faithful, and we have to remember this is not our home. This is not the reward, right? This is the battleground, man. And we're in a fight. And it's a spiritual one. And we need to be fighting it. We need to be 
doing the things that he says to do so that you're not clinging to the world. And we'll fall into the same traps if we do. We'll start blaming God that, oh, life isn't fair. Why didn't he do this? And why didn't, well, God, I can't pay my RV bill, so I can't tithe to you. Sorry, I like RVs, so I just use that as an example. Um, or, or whatever, you know, I can't give you my money, God, because I owe all this debt over here. You told me not to get into debt. I didn't trust you. I've lived life my way, and now I'm going to blame you for it. Oh, are we guilty of that? I am. And God all the time is like, if you just follow me, just come on. You don't need all the stuff. You'll be okay. I promise I'll give you more than that stuff could ever give. And I'm looking around at it right now. Man, I love you guys. I love being a part of this church. I love the relationships that are in here. I love how y'all love each other. I love it. And we're not perfect and people in here have messed up and I've messed up and we've done wrong against each other. But there's a lot of forgiveness that has gone on in this room. I'm so thankful for that. This, at the end of our days when we breathe our last, I promise you this is what counts. This is what counts, man. How we loved each other. How we invested in each other. And God is moving, the last thing, God is moving on to the Messiah, this ultimate solution for the sin problem. Malachi 4, 2-6. But for you who fear my name, praise God, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Have you ever seen that? I know we got some, we got we country out here, we've probably all seen that. Like that's like the calf almost gets this goofy look on his face, right? Like it's awesome. Like, <laughs> I'm free, and he does this little pant prancing thing. It's great, right? And he just puts a smile on your face because it's awesome. The calf is free. He's probably just had a bet moment getting shots and all that stuff. It's like, woo! And the calf's going crazy. That's what it's going to be like for us. We're going to be set free. Bondage of sin. And we are right now. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses. See, there's still this obedience thing. The statutes and rules that I command him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." takeaways don't forget the law god's law is supposed to be written on our hearts man we're supposed to talk about it when we sit down at the table when we walk down the road when we canoe down the river i don't know whatever you do we're supposed to be talking about god with people i, I think that's one of the first indications that things aren't okay with you really if you're just doing a spiritual checkup and i say that a lot and i'll keep saying it if nothing spiritual is coming out of your mouth there's a verse about that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Right? So if you're not talking about God, what are you talking about? Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Elijah's coming, right? Elijah's coming. There's hope. I'm sending Elijah back. Talking about Jesus. The son of righteousness is coming. And because of that, we get to leap around like a silly calf. That's awesome. Because Christ is going to be, bring freedom. Great moment. Great moment. All right, I'm going to give you a history lesson. I'm going to zoom through this, and we're going to shut this thing down, all right? 
So for 400 years of silence, there's no prophets, there's no new scriptures. What happens? There is a shift, right? We definitely see a shift. There's a different language that comes into play here. Uh, there's some different groups that rise up and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm going to do my best to say some of these names. I will butcher them. So if you're super smart and you could pronounce them. Uh, so we leave, we're, we have Israel in this very unstable Palestine area. So they're trying to get back established. And, and again, they, you know, they've been, they've been there now for a little bit, but like things still aren't great. And they're, they're right there in that Mediterranean area where they're kind of a crossroad, you know, for these superpowers. They're right there in the middle of all this mess. And so, like, hey, everybody wants control of Israel, uh, and Israel isn't power enough, powerful enough to fight them off. So, like I said, they end up being this kind of this political football that just kind of bounces around the superpowers, and they kind of get used and abused a little bit uh, here. And so, uh, so we have this, uh, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, Medo-Persian Empire that was in play when Malachi wrote this book, all right? So this Persian Empire was in, in play, and it lasted till about 331 B.C., when this 24-year-old guy, you might have heard of him, his name's Alexander the Great, comes strolling in, all right? And, uh, you know, in the world's eyes, he was great. Oh, my goodness, man. He, he had the best teachers. His dad, Philip the Great, wanted him to be his prodigy. He wanted him to be just this elite in every area. And so, man, he, he spared no expense getting his son educated and best, best. And so he got him this teacher named Aristotle. Ever heard of that guy? Uh, but, uh, and, and, and again, um, Alexander was this great general, this great leader uh, who was trained by Aristotle, and Aristotle was trained by Plato, and Plato was trained by Socrates, and Socrates lived around the time of Malachi, just to kind of date this. And so all, these, all this stuff was being poured into Alexander the Great, and there was this mentality in this heart to unify the world under one thing, and it wasn't God. They wanted a universal language, money, philosophy, thought pattern, everything. Unify all this under. And so that was Alexander's kind of drive. Hey, I'm going to conquer, and I'm going to bring everybody under this one umbrella. And it ended up being Greece is kind of what ended up happening. But Alexander the Great is Aristotle's like star student, and he excelled at science and math and philosophy and government and, and all these things. And so as they went out and conquered, man, they were doing all this science stuff, you know, and like they discover new animals and places and they're categorizing everything. And, and again, all this stuff to, to, to just bring this synthesis uh, to everybody under one teaching and language and thought. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's said, I, you know, I don't know, I, I saw this in a couple of places, but it said that no one spent more money on scientific development than Alexander the Great until NASA came along. Nobody. I mean, this was just a drive for him, uh, this knowledge and this, this unification under this thing. And so, so in the heart of wanting everybody to speak the same language, Greek, like English, was a little tricky. And so he dumbed it down and, and came up with this Koine Greek. And it was just, a, I mean, all that means is just common Greek, right? Be like Southern, <laughs> right? We just simplify things. You know, we just blur uh, stuff together and you can say five words in one word now right you're like this is what we do and uh, we all understand it but i got people that come down from the north and they're like what what did you just say i'm like oh they said this. um so they just made some common language he just made some common language and and he was he was really forcing hellenization which is make everyone greek that's what they were after make everyone greek well that didn't set very well with the israelites 
right? Uh, because God didn't want them to be Greek. He wanted them to be his. And so eight years after uh, Alexander the Great defeats Persia, he, he ends up dying. And so there's these four generals that kind of rise up, and they want all his territory, you know, and they're kind of fighting and squabbling. They end up dividing it up. And so two of them end up with kind of the Mediterranean areas. Uh, we got Egypt, and, um, and then uh, the other one was kind of over by Israel. So they're called, and again, I'll probably mispronounce these, but the Salusids, I think uh, is how you say it. And they ruled over Syria, and Ptolemy was over Egypt. And so they took dominion, uh, Ptolemy took dominion over uh, Israel for a few decades. And then in 198 BC, so we're about halfway through this 400 years right here. All right, about halfway through, uh, there was this guy named Antichus. Antichus, Antichus, sounds good, the third. And he took over Palestine and he brought it under the Seleucids, and he was more passionate about Hellenization than, than Alexander the Great was. And he started forcing it on people to the point of death. So if you didn't obey, if you didn't become more Greek, we'll just kill you. So if you observe Sabbath, death. If you were circumcised and we find out about it, death. If you had any part of the Hebrew Bible and we found out about it, death. Because you were going to be Greek. And he was going to make sure of it. And so this is, this is going on a very, very difficult time. And, and so... Uh, Lots of trouble for Israel because obviously, again, they were called to be set apart and they weren't going to do this. And so just another persecution uh, going on. But they, they fought, man. They fought tooth and nail to maintain their culture and to be set apart and to do the things that God was saying. And so it ended this group rising up, this traditional, orthodox, pious group of Jews called the Hasidians, and literally means pious ones. And they wanted to preserve the historic uh, Judaism. And so they were fighting for that. And in the middle of that, another group rose up. Uh, and they, they were kind of this conservative party. It'd be like the, they'd have the slogan, make Israel great again, <laughs> right? That, that'd be them. And we know them today as the Pharisees. Well, hold on. Like, Jesus like, talks pretty rough about the Pharisees. Yeah, but they started off They started off good wanting to do the right thing. And like humans, <laughs> their self-righteousness gets in. They become these Puritans and just... It just degenerates and they're corrupt and, and they end up, yeah, we, what we know, being against Jesus. Um, but they did not set out that way and they became very works-based, right? You earn your way in. And they did that because then the people in leadership could control by power and money, right? And so that's what was going on. So an important moment in 175 BC, there, there came another uh, Antichus Epiphanes, uh, which literally means the manifestation of God. And he wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped. And uh, that definitely didn't fly with the Jews. And so um, uh, he rose up to power, and he, re he was related to the biblical prophecy in Daniel, the abomination of desolation. John talks about that too in Revelation. We're going to talk about that um, uh, when we get there. But uh, man, he wanted to be God, and he didn't want anyone to worship. It wasn't a statue, man. They, he wanted worshipped. Uh, he wanted to be a god, and so I mean, he made himself a god, and, and uh, so pretty serious laws were going into place. It was kind of the Hitler of this time, if we're going to compare him to somebody. I mean, just, just terrible, you know? And so, yeah, death over any, any and everything that, that they wanted to do. And so the persecution reached this climax in 167 B.C. Uh, when this guy, uh, this uh, Antipatus guy, Epiphanes guy, um, he goes into the temple, and he sacrifices a pig. 
That was not okay. And he just desecrated the whole place. All the stuff, and man, the Jews got livid. Um, And so he profanes everything. He pushes the Jews over the top. In 164 B.C., a priest named and his five sons just revolted against the Greeks. And one son, Judas Maccabeus, the hammer, as they called him, that's a fun nickname, he became the leader. And he, he organized and engaged in some guerrilla warfare, and they actually religious freedom. And this is what Hanukkah is today. This is what they celebrate. So if you, I know we're not Jews in here, but if you ever get a chance to, to be a part of that with a Jewish family, it's pretty cool, it's pretty neat. I'm uh, going to share that story a little bit. Um, what happened with Hanukkah and the menorah and all that? So what happened is as they, as they got their religious freedom, it was shaky and at best, and it wasn't like just true there, but uh, they, they began to like go back into the temple, and they were trying to um, do the things they were supposed to be doing with the oil and everything had been profaned. So they had one day was worth of oil, of, of consecrated oil that hadn't been um, whatever, spoiled or whatever. And, and they prayed, and God made it last eight days. And so that's where Hanukkah comes from. That's what, they are, that's what they're celebrating, God's provision in that. And so after eight days, they had been able to get some more oil and bless and consecrate it. Um, and so pretty neat little moment right there. And so this shaky freedom lasted about till 66 B.C., and then this, um, this group emerged uh, called the Romans. And uh, they, were, they were led by uh, Pompey doesn't mean pompous, but he was pompous, and it's not Pompeii either, where the boss came, yeah, not that. And he takes over, and he puts Israel under the thumb of his rule, which he's under the rule of Caesar Augustus, Um, and so uh, he was put in place by Mark, Anthony, and Octavius. Octavius becomes Caesar Augustus in in, in all of this, and so Caesar is is there, and and, uh, it brings us to Israel in the New Testament, and so Herod, the Edomite, right, we were talking about that, this little Jacob and Esau little feud, right? And Edom, man, the Edomites were really pretty much wiped out. They'd kind of become a nomadic type group of people. They didn't really have a place, and their numbers had dwindled down. But Herod is is one of them, and man, he's cruel. And guess what? Rome loves it. So he snuggles up and becomes all buddy-buddy with Rome, and he gets put into a political power piece so he can keep peace in Israel because they don't want to deal with them. They're just a political end for them right? Because this is a crossroad place where Israel is. So that's what they wanted. Like, we just want the place. We don't really care about the people. And So Herod gets put in place. And the thing that kind of kept Herod going was he, not only was he terrible, and he did terrible things like killing babies, but he wanted the city to be beautiful. He was an architect, man. And he had dreams. And so he'd envision this stuff, and he'd get people to do it. And so he was he was like putting dog parks in over here and, you know, making things really nice, botanical gardens for people to go visit. And he's lulling them to sleep. And he kind of kept Israel at bay with that, honestly. Kind of appeased them. And then they have their little groups that are fighting for power over here. So that's where we are. And then we enter the story of Jesus and the good news and the birth and, and all this stuff. Uh, it says in Galatians uh, four, four through five. But when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions. Had planned the whole time. You remember that dream back in Daniel that we talked about the statue and that 
It was gold and then uh, silver and then bronze and then iron. And that's what we have. We have, have and, and God, again, was working through all of this. Please don't miss this. And I want to tell you why I really want you to get this. I really want you to get this. It is so easy to look around here and see China. China owns us. Russia's going to blow up Ukraine. The United States. And you're like so caught up in all these political powers. I don't think any of these touch what some of these people were doing. They could get there. I'm not saying they can't. But there's some pretty terrible stuff going on. And don't miss this. God was at work the whole time. The whole time. He predicted it back in Daniel. This isn't some shocking thing to the Lord. Right? He gives him this dream and he, and he walks through these different superpowers and they all happen. They all come true, just like Daniel said. Because God gave that message to him. And so it wasn't all in vain and it wasn't all bad because God used Babylon, the golden head, to discipline and prepare his people. He broke them, man. Their hearts were different. We see that in the scriptures after they, after they were set free. They had a different heart. Did they still mess up and struggle? Yeah, absolutely. Would that be the way I would have chosen Babylon? No, of course not. Babylon was terrible. It's still, I mean, it's mentioned in Revelation. It was bad, right? But God used them to discipline and prepare his people. And then he used Persia to what? Set them free and send them back home. Right? His people got relationships with the, the kings and the people in power, and they, they were re released by Persia. And then the Greece is the next one, and they changed the language. The gospel could be spread way easier than it was. And then we come down to Rome. And Rome, again, cruel, right? Lots of, lots of bad. But you know what Rome did? They built some incredible roads. They connected the world in an unbelievable way in that time and day. Guess what happened then? Now the church can be scattered and the gospel can be taken to the four corners. God has a plan. And I'm not telling you to, to just, duck, again, not to put your head in the sand and like just ignore everything, but trust God more than any of that. More than any of that. The Bible talks about that. Don't, don't fear the one that can just take away your life, right? Because that ain't the end. <laughs> when we breathe our last, that's not the end. And if some catastrophic thing happens, I don't want to go through that. I don't want my kids to go. I don't want any of you to go through some country taking us over and us putting prison camps and worse. Of course not. But I hope we walk faithfully through whatever comes our way. Because we have a God who has a plan, and he is faithful. And the reward is coming. And there will be a day when the evildoers and the people who look like they're prospering are going to be turned to ash. And God doesn't want that either. He says that. I don't desire for the wicked to die. I want them to turn. Amen. What are we doing about that? What are we doing to be his voice, his example, to be the light in the darkness. The Jews were looking for a conquering Messiah because they forgot the prophecies that talked about all the suffering and the death that had to come for Jesus. They were starving from a word from God. They were pining away in sin and error. And a lot of them missed him. You, God, thanks for this incredible book. God, thanks for how you work 
God, no matter what, Lord, you are working, God. And I know, Lord, it gets discouraging. It gets difficult sometimes. We feel like we're toiling away. Uh, we pray, and sometimes we don't uh, see anything happening from our prayers, God. And we question, where are you, God? Where are you in all of this? Lord, and I pray that you help us stay faithful. God, I pray, uh, as we've been commanded to prayer, help me in my unbelief. God, help me when I don't believe. Help me when I doubt. Help me when I'm struggling. Help me when I've fallen victim to the, to the lies of the world and I'm loving money more than I'm loving you. I'm clinging to it tight-fisted for security. God, like it can't be taken away in a blink of an eye. Lord, I'm praying. God, I pray you help us to have a repentant heart to surrender and to seek you first in all things. And follow Jesus, God. I pray that we pick up our cross and follow Jesus. That we get on mission with Jesus. And we make an impact in this world like we were called to do. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for, for providing the way, the truth, in Jesus. And it's in his name. Amen.